Thinking and listening to place emerges as a thematic of where and how to gather, a collection of texts published on Disclaimer, edited by Justin Myberg. These works consider technology and humanity as being in the world, rather than as tacit mediators or observers of it, with the writing investigating the processes by which meditation is obscured, or how presence is made difficult. There's also a knowing that we need to find ways to come together, to listen and act. Working out how is tricky and multi-layered, queering rituals, dismantling hegemonies and the struggle of activism are grappled with, but joy, and sometimes cheekiness, finds its way into these processes too. This coexistence of the serious and the lovely or ridiculous runs through a lot of what's here, and also underpins Audible Edge's curation. The featured artists include those from 2020's cancelled Audible Edge Festival, curated by Tone Listing Ballu, Perth. Aishuaki Lusumito and Noemi Cecilia Hutner Koros talk through the ideas and processes behind their respective pieces, the sound of my own voice butchering transliterated Quranic Arabic, and what are the things that climate can't change. So my name is Aisha Akil Sumito and I'm an artist and writer. I've been writing for quite a long time but have only started like publishing in relation to like uh, I guess art spaces quite recently. Mostly writing creative nonfiction uh, regarding personal narratives around faith, uh, queerness and disability and neurodivergence. And I'm also a co-director at Cool Change Contemporary, which is an ARI here in Perth. Yeah, so that work began probably during lockdown, specifically during Ramadan, and thinking about how I engage with um, Muslim ritual. Yeah, Muslim ritual, like as someone who doesn't really uh, have a very good understanding of how to be a good Muslim and who is queer and has grown up with these two sort of uh, supposedly sort of culturally dichotomized aspects of identity, being Muslim and being queer. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but it does make it a little like... I have to approach it in new ways, basically. And so I think I... I can't actually remember if it was in lockdown or not, or maybe, like, just a bit before lockdown. Time is a bit bendy, but I had a friend over that I grew up with who now lives around the corner with me, from me, which at the time was probably only one of, like, the other queer Muslim people in my life and and also someone who, like, doesn't speak Arabic or doesn't speak Malay, um, so we kind of shared that complicated, like, disconnection from culture and we read poems and stuff in my backyard and butchered transliterated Quranic Arabic together. But that came after I sat in my dining room alone uh, reciting or butchering transliterated Quranic Arabic and just being like, why Why am I doing this? Um surely there's a better way for me to be engaging with this in a way that's meaningful to me and maybe that I can pass on to other people. 
so it kind of like revolved around that thought process. And this is something that I mentioned to Justin too, after which he invited me to write this piece. And the narrative that sort of swirled around it came later, I think, like adding adding the like the narrative around going to Malaysia and stuff related, but um, wasn't the centre of that piece, I think. Yeah, um, rituals, rituals, rituals. Well, it definitely comes up in my art making uh, in terms of, like, the the visual motifs I sort of tend to gravitate towards. Something that I'm always thinking about is um, pilgrimage as a signifier of my uh, cultural connection to faith and how I can enact that in a way that represents all, all of who I am and not just religion, not just Islam, which is arguably all of who I am as well. And I think thinking about queerness, something that sort of crops up a lot is like how, how, how I can vi visually like tie in like signifiers of queerness and and religion so like pilgrimage is a big one and you know like um as a muslim there's this very established expectation that at least once in your lifetime that you have to go to mecca and do hajj um undergo a pilgrimage to mecca and just like in terms of my broader practice and the ways that i approach it approaching uh, pilgrimage in this way, um, considering it as this like quite masochist, masochistic act, um, and like uh, approaching sadomasochism as this signifier of queerness, and my own rituals, because um, sadomasochism can be very ritualistic in its own ways, especially like interpersonally and, and um, becoming closer with yourself and other people, and your own body, etc. And I think that's intrinsic with the kinds of rituals that I'm making in my art practice, like um, trying to become closer to my body and just, like, accept the trauma that I've experienced. Like in past works, I've, like, carried, like, just so many bricks across public transport and, like, in gallery spaces in, in a performative way to the point of, like, extreme exhaustion. And to me, those were like rituals of, I suppose, becoming closer to all of those cultural signifiers in one space with my body. I guess it was, it was actually more like wanting to engage with Disclaimer as a platform and liquid architecture as a platform because I don't have a sound practice um, and really wanted to um, make an effort to make that uh, connection um, to sound in my work, like particularly like the sound of my own voice, butchering transliterated Quranic Arabic and the ritualistic procession of compound and trying to reenact, uh, encourage people to reenact that procession to sort of undergo that ritual um, 
uh, orally, like through sound. I mean, it definitely is probably has a lot to do with, you know, lockdown and how to make performance more viable online. But I think that's something that we should be thinking about a lot anyway. It's definitely very intuitive. Sometimes poetry helps me to sort of break down uh, break down articulations of thought that I uh, perhaps find too difficult to articulate through prose or like more fleshed out forms of writing um, or more direct. Um, and by difficult, I mean like emotionally difficult, probably. Um, the whole thing was very emotionally difficult to write, but yeah, I think I think poetry is more like it just allows me to flow between sections or something like that. And then sometimes narrative requi- requires like just like really getting into it. <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely very intuitive. I don't think I've really thought about why things are where they are, but I think probably the use of poetry is definitely like a way for me to sort of roll between different timelines or tones maybe. Yeah, I I really enjoyed writing this piece. It was definitely very challenging. And I was writing it for a really, really long time. Um, But I think it was really important for me to put out there, especially like the feedback that I got from other Muslim artists in my in my circles here in Bolu, I guess. Um, that was really nice, finally being able to put it out and experience that, like, uh, shared nurturing, if you will. So my name's Noemi Cecilia Hutnokoros and I'm based and live and work um, on Wajak Noongar country in Bulu, or actually in Walialup now, which is the port of Fremantle um, in the southwest of WA. And um, I grew up on Ngunnawal Ngambri country in Canberra to parents who, who uh, came to Australia in 1990 from Hungary and France and Poland. So I guess that history is important to my work which is kind of why I mention it and so being Jewish and being queer is important to my work as well yeah I guess I'm a theatre and performance maker and a writer dramaturg community organizer or activist and um I guess um my practice is really driven by like connecting ourselves to um larger narratives and being aware of our own social and political power and um, understanding the history of queerness and queer culture and ecological crisis and kind of creating cracks in in systems that that perpetuate injustice and you know the, the art that we make can bridge open those cracks or like make them bigger I guess and yeah I'm also interested in playing with what like performance and language 
and like performative encounters can kind of be in this time and place and how they can occur and what it means to make work in this place and all the other places I've lived in and how we yeah, are really embedded in the, these living systems. I guess I began writing the piece um, during the bushfires in end of 2019, beginning of 2020, and I was in Bulu, Perth, and my family were over in Canberra and it was super smoky and I guess I was feeling this real disconnect between where I was and where they were and um, the things that we were both experiencing. Um, and this place that I'd grown up on was kind of burning. And then I was reflecting on a whole heap of experiences that I've had kind of in my life up to this point. And yeah, in 2019, I realised that I'd been involved in climate activism for 10 years. And yeah, I was kind of interrogating what that felt like and what had been achieved and kind of what we'd failed at. And like we as, I guess, the climate, a climate justice movement. So yeah, I was... I kind of had all these fragments of of experiences and I was trying to figure out how to bring them all together because I guess the way I write and think is very fragmented in that way. It's very like these sort of snippets and that's sort of the way I write and make performance and trying to find a form that would bring those things together. And then I had also just finished a residency at um, the Perth Institute of Contemporary Arts and I'd made... Um, this solo work called The Troublemakers, which was like a participatory sort of dinner party slash solo show, theatre show, I guess, where I spent like an hour with audience members, like we'd eat dinner and I had picked all these like edible weeds from around the Perth area. It was all safe, I promise. I've done a lot of research. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was like composting and eating and we were talking and I'd done heaps a lot of research that also kind of went into the the piece because I couldn't fit into the piece that's in disclaimer because I couldn't fit it into the one hour show but those ideas kind of definitely made their way into the essay I guess so there was that the residency the bushfires and um and also I was really lucky that I was part of this initiative with um Playwriting Australia where I interviewed the playwright and theatre maker David Finnegan who um, is just a really incredible artist who's been working sort of at the intersection of like theatre, science, climate science and kind of like game theory and and complex systems theory. And um, he also he wrote this play that called Kill Climate Deniers and has written a bunch of really am- amazing plays. And we recorded a podcast where I am really awkward, so don't listen to it, but he says some really great <laughs> things. It's called This Is How We Do It um, by Playwriting Australia. Yeah, so I think it was this kind of experiences and trying to connect what I'd observed over what felt like a long time and I guess as well like when you look back at things like your teenage years shape you so much, I guess, and in those teenage years I'd been involved in what seemed like really momentous kind of historical and social events, I guess, and yeah, I just felt really like the need to write about it. As like young people, when you kind of connect that, like we've basically grown up in a world that one, we like don't really know how to mourn, but also, or grieve for, but also like by the time we were born, it was already like at a tipping point. 
And so, yeah, I think it, it is actually the, the experience of a lot of people under the age of 30, you know, which is like three, four billion people. Over the last few years, like especially in 2019, early 2020, I was making a a work called The Lion Never Sleeps, which is a sort of exploration um, into the into the LGBTQIA plus history of Perth and the nightclub scene and um, how the queer community in Perth really fought the a- HIV AIDS epidemic. Anyway, what I learned from that project and from meeting such incredible like um, elders of our community here who really changed the world here and overseas, I guess, but it was a really local project um, that took people, like audience members, on the a journey of that history through the streets of um, of Northbridge in, in Perth. So, um, yeah, the experience of making that show and kind of hearing about how the queer community, like, responded to crisis and, and what the artists in that time did and what we can learn from that has kind of really, like, shifted my thinking about bringing struggles together and and what it is to actually commit to not just long-term cultural and political change but also um, creating a really strong sense of community and what it is to bring your community together when the world turns its back and creating, like, communities where the foundation is actually based on care and nurturing rather than extraction and, um, I guess, productivity. I think as well, kind of going back to what I was saying before about growing up and being involved in a bunch of different groups, but especially like Australian Youth Climate Coalition and 350.org and Frontline Action on Coal, I I think what I really took away from that and which is a little bit in the piece is like this thing that um, crisis and kind of political policy decisions are really like tangible and embodied and we have this sense maybe the way that it's something that happens over there or it's something that's separate from us. But, for example, the lead blockade in North, North New South Wales, a blockade uh, to stop the um, Morse Creek coal mine in 2015 when I was 18, like, and really seeing the devastation of that open-cut coal mine and the devastation of that the Gomorrah people, Gomorrah people are suffering because of their um, sacred sites being destroyed. Like you feel that in in the body and you feel it and in so many ways. So I think that politics and I guess decision-making is it's within us and it's not something that just happens to us. Y- yeah, we can kind of see that the same ideologies that like drive extraction, drive colonisation and sort of catastrophic climate change and there are so many ways that we can connect the struggles that we're facing to kind of create better futures or or at least um, futures that prioritise interdependence and care for each other but also for country. So I think... um, once we realise that so many struggles are linked and uh, and that we can't, like, solve any one thing on its own, that's kind of what makes me interested, I guess, and try to bring all these very, all these disparate ideas together in this text, I guess. And it, it was a bit hard and weird because I 
like especially as someone involved in theatre, we get taught to write in a really linear way, like Western, the canon of Western theatre. And I think in a way that's like done a disservice to how we understand systems like um, climate and what is happening to like the climate system. Um, so, yeah, as like things are going to like get hotter and more dangerous and like there's going to be more competition over resources. So like the more that we can like keep fighting for justice and like the transition I also feel like within the climate movement where there was a while where it was a bit disconnected from justice and now that I think it's starting to centre more those demands for like racial justice and economic justice and gender justice, like equity, like the more I feel like we're going to be able to like hold each other um, into the future. Well, something that's influenced my thinking a bit around it is this playwright Fleur Kilpatrick who wrote a play called Whale, which is really amazing, and she talked to me about how um, we're really, in our popular culture, we've had a, we've really had a lot of images of, like, apocalypse. So we're really good at being, like, in the future it could be like this, but what's so difficult is actually, like, what are we, what is the present? And so... Yeah, that kind of apocalypse mindset of, like, what movies show and the, like, it's all over, I think is also, like, a really privileged position because you're kind of able, you're like, oh, well, whatever, no matter what we do, it's, like, all over. Whereas people who are really, like, on the front lines of the climate crisis, they they can't say it's all over. Like, um, and I think one of the really good example of this is, like, the Pacific Climate Warriors who um, came to the port of Newcastle, the world's largest coal export port, with um, traditional wooden canoes and allies in kayaks, like blockaded the port of Newcastle for several days. I think that was back in 2015 and 16. And their kind of motto is like, we are not drowning, we are fighting. And basically to be able to yeah, throw your hands up and be like, oh, whatever is... Um, it really, it's not only like untrue and untenable, but yeah, I think it's really um, actually kind of selfish. So I guess, you know, that's not to say that there aren't things to to mourn and grieve. And like, I think that like once you um, get involved or like once the truth of what is happening, uh, once you grasp that, it can be really confronting, but it means that we absolutely like must confront it because the forces of denial and kind of ignorance driven by corporations is so large. So I also really think this is like the role of the arts is in finding ways to respond and, and creating new narratives rather than the ones that we've been taught, like we've been taught this apocalypse narrative, but like what other presents and futures are there? There are many, many others and... Yeah, I kind of guarantee that if you confront it and find ways to to get involved or or communicate what is happening or um, really just do anything, I guarantee you, you'll feel better because it's like, yeah, the scale of it is huge, but really like social change doesn't come about without social movements. And going back to like the AIDS crisis, like artists were huge in, like instrumental in, 
creating the art of the 80s and 90s and, um, you know, like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence were like this incredible drag, all these all these drag performers dressing up as nuns who were like giving blessings, you know, that there were just so many artistic interventions and community um, education about um, safe sex and safe needle exchange, safe needle use and and I'm kind of looking around for like, okay, where are artists? And then it's like there's a few, but I really think that that's the tools of like white Western, um, I guess, creative thought um, aren't need to like evolve to be able to like talk about the climate crisis. So, yeah, we, we kind of have to be in it, otherwise we're not in the fight, yeah. Yeah, I think the media um, and social media really um, exacerbate this problem. Like so much mainstream media has either been actively involved in climate denial or reporting on climate change in such a small um, on such a small level in really in relation to the scale of what's occurring. Um, like there's been like countless studies that have shown like the percentage of reporting. Um, on not just disasters but climate change in general so like Mm. I think that narrative of like there is a competition has been played up by the media so I guess yeah it's really hard in the environment that we live in to like keep an open frame of mind but yeah I think I go back to like the power of grassroots organizing and and organizing through communities and it's funny because I feel like in order to keep our awareness global, we have to be, like, really localised in a weird way. Like, so it's, like, not just what's happening globally, but, like, paying attention to, like, what is happening in the place where you are, like, what species are at risk and what is, is are the rain patterns different. And, um, you know, like, in the southwest of WA, like, on Noongar Buja, like, Noongar country, there are six seasons so paying attention to, like, how those seasons change. So I, I don't, yeah, it's like, and what fights are there in in this place that link to other fights? Like, yeah, in WA there's definitely a question on how are we going to transition the arts sector out of funding from fossil fuel companies when literally nearly every major arts organisation, festival, institution is funded by um, fossil fuel companies. So like that is something for artists in this place to be asking themselves and then we can connect that to like the divestment movement more globally but yeah I guess there's also something that's influenced my thinking in this area is like um the amazing writer and thinker Tyson Yonkaporta who wrote this book Sand Talk and he talks about that in his language and in indigenous language from Cape York there's no real like the closest translation to the word culture is something that means being like your place. And he says being in close connection with your place changes, like, everything about you, like the way you walk and the way you are. And, um, yeah, I guess living in capitalism and this kind of um, maybe not the right word, but, yeah, like, numbs us to our links, to the links we share with one another. So I guess in terms of acknowledgement of um, our awarenesses, and keeping our awareness open, I feel like, yeah, we have to, like, pay attention to each other, to the place we live in, 
and kind of reawaken our sense of being a like living organism that's amidst a whole bunch of other living organisms that are all completely connected and again that's like so why the arts are so important because through whatever medium you practice in like to to sit with a um a feeling a concept an experience for a a long time um is kind of or or a a time an amount of time in which you can be affected is so is what I find so amazing about what we what we do and so you get beyond like a slogan or um we can figure out embodied and collaborative ways of of what this time I guess needs so it's maybe a problem with what a lot of mainstream climate organizing has been in the last like 10 years has been like okay we need to have media coverage okay but the media coverage is actively hostile so I really think yeah it it is definitely about like connecting the struggles of many marginalized peoples and um being like pretty relentless I guess in the things that we're doing and and how we're saying them like being really creative like yeah going back to the the AIDS crisis, the way that community really took it upon themselves to do the work that government was failing to do. Yeah, when when governments kind of collectively fail to um, protect or protect their own people, like, we have to, like, be creative. <laughs> I feel a bit sad, I guess, that there's a competition because I kind of yeah, I feel like in my limited experience of, like, being a human in the world, it's, like, kind of clear that human beings, like, can be really caring towards lots and lots of things, not just one thing. But I don't know, we've internalised this idea that our attention span or our well of how much we love, it's, like, one thing. So, yeah, I think we have to, like, feel for people that we'll never, ever meet is maybe what I'm trying to say. And not just people but plants and animals and places and kind of feel it in a really, I don't know, deep way or like, yeah, it's like I'm kind of interested in what happens when you connect to people that you maybe you don't like or or strangers and I have to feel for them as well. Yeah, if you're fighting for, you know, whether it's against incarceration or the gender pay gap or you know, social housing or accessibility, like, for, for, for everyone or you're doing something to fight the climate crisis. But I guess, yeah, how do we talk about the things that are maybe more uncomfortable, like um, the deeper injustices that have led to um, extraction in the first place so that we don't just have, like, green capitalism and make some people rich with solar panels yeah. and then we're like, woohoo, we did it. <laughs> this recording was produced by Mara Schwitt-Vega for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Boon Wurrung and Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognise that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. To learn more head to liquidarchitecture.org.au